ECO Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Good morning and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm David Lyman. And I'm Don Guerra. Monday's solar eclipse crossed the American mainland, peaking above Bloomington at around 2.20 in the afternoon. Bloomington residents took to rooftops and meadows with solar viewers and pinhole cameras. The city itself was within 94% of totality, the area scientists consider to achieve a full eclipse. The path of totality reached 14 states and was at least partially visible from all 50 states, including Alaska and Hawaii. The maximum duration for what some are calling the Great American Eclipse was 2 minutes and 40 seconds. The next eclipse to cross the continental U.S. takes place in April of the year 2024. An invasive freshwater fish is threatening Midwestern waterways, including those in Bloomington. This week, Illinois and Michigan proposed hundreds of millions of dollars in structural upgrades to keep the invasive Asian carp out of Lake Michigan. Indiana Department of Natural Resources fishery biologist and wildlife expert Dave Kitaka says aquaculture facilities previously used Asian carp as a type of pest control for breeding catfish. But during the 80s and 90s, a series of floods released the fish into Mississippi Basin waterways. Uh, it's sort of a generic term for three different species that we have in Indiana. It's the grass carp, silver carp, and bighead carp. And I believe what we found below the dam at Monroe were the silver carp. And those are the ones that you see jumping all the time on YouTube and on the news and stuff. So those were as close as, uh, you know, behind the dam. The best... Kitaka says Midwestern states are working on programs to monitor, track, and study the Asian carp. Structural upgrades like those proposed in neighboring Illinois and Michigan intend to keep the fish populations from spreading upstream to Lake Michigan. Way to prevent, uh, you know, aquatic invasive species is to is for education because once it gets in a waterways, you can't really do anything about it. Um, once they're in the rivers, we can't get rid of them, and um, you know, if they were ever to get in in Monroe Reservoir, there would be really no, virtually no control over them since we can't drain the lake and we can't chemically treat the lake because it's, you know, you know, a water supply for the city of Bloomington. You know, and it also serves as flood control for everything downstream. Kitaka says taking preventative steps to impair the carp's movement will help keep down the monetary cost of removing the species. Structural upgrades would include water jets, electric barriers, new locks for rivers, underwater noise machines, and more. In Bloomington, Kitaka said a new set of rules will be set in place in order to limit Indiana's exposure to explosive populations of Asian carp. We have a new rule that hopefully will be in place by next year, and that will eliminate uh, cast netting for bait. 
uh, within 500 yards of a dam. Since these fish like to migrate upstream, they tend to pile up at the backsides of dams, and it's pretty much all dams like uh, Monroe Reservoir, Potoka. Um, a lot of the Army Corps of Engineer reservoirs have populations of Asian carp behind them. That rule, Kataka said, is a part of several preventative measures being taken against the Asian carp in Indiana. And it's time to check your trees for the Asian longhorned beetle. The Asian longhorned beetle may be one of the most invasive species of concern in the United States. This pest most likely arrived in the States inside solid wood packing material shipped from China and other areas of the Far East, where it is a native species. It has been found as close as Illinois, but does not seem to have reached Indiana yet. The Asian beetle reef prefers hardwood trees, particularly maple, birch, willow, and elm. Eggs are laid within the tree, with the larvae tunneling its way through the tree, eventually killing it. Signs of infestation include dime-sized exit holes and trunks riddled with exit holes. Trees can be treated by an arborist. What should you look for? Each beetle is one to one and a half inches in length, sporting long antenna banded with black and white, and a shiny jet black body with distinctive white spots. The beetles may have blue feet. If you spot an Asian longhorned beetle, immediately report the information to the DNR at 317-232-4120. Note the date and location where you found the beetle or damaged tree. If possible, capture the beetle in a plastic jar and place it in the freezer to kill it. A group of indigenous youth is undertaking the Paddle to Protect, a 22-day, 250-mile canoe journey across northern Minnesota from August 12th to September 2nd to stop the proposed Line 3 pipeline and protect the water. The youth are traveling a traditional canoe route across the 1855 treaty territory and headwaters of the Mississippi River from its source in Lake Itzaka, Itasca to Big Sandy Lake. During the trip, the youth are offering their prayers to the lakes and rivers, wetlands, wild rice beds, and their relatives. The youth are traveling along the Enbridge Main Line Corridor, where the company proposes to abandon the existing Line 3. Then they are traveling between the two places where Enbridge wants to drill under the Mississippi River to construct a new Line 3. The journey ends at Big Sandy Lake, where hundreds of Ojibwe, Ojibwe died in 1850 after the U.S. government forced them to travel for rations and annuities but failed to deliver them. The $4.3 billion rover pipeline to be over 700 miles long and carry fracked natural gas from the eastern U.S. to the Midwest and Canada is Energy Transfer Partners' largest pipeline project since it built the controversial Dakota Access Pipeline. Now under construction, the rover has committed more environmental violations than any other major interstate natural gas pipeline built in the last two years. Federal and state regulators have cited energy transfer partners for dozens of environmental and other violations. Among them are polluting Ohio wetlands with more than 50,000 barrels of drilling fluid, demolishing an historic property in Ohio, illegally disposing of industrial waste near drinking water sources, dumping wastewater in streams and farm fields, and burning debris within a thousand feet of an inhabited building. 
The Rover pipeline will also cause a drastic increase in climate pollution, emitting as much greenhouse gas as 42 coal-fired power plants. According to a News 21 investigation of 680,000 water quality and monitoring violations listed by the EPA, as many as 63 million people, almost a fifth of the nation's population, were exposed to potentially unsafe water more than once in the past 10 years. Those people include residents from west coast to east and includes Indiana's Monroe County and several surrounding counties. News 21 found that a recent Gallup poll showed that 63% of Americans are greatly concerned about pollution in their drinking water. The same poll showed that drinking water pollution is a leading environmental concern for Americans greater than concern about air pollution and climate change. The pollution in drinking water comes from decades of dumping industrial waste, pollution from farming and deterioration of water plants and distribution pipes. Small, poor, and minority communities are hardest hit because they can't afford the systems that filter out contaminants. And from drinking water to coastal waters, America is already experiencing coastal flooding from rising sea levels. Of the 90 U.S. communities currently suffering chronic flooding, 59 are on Louisiana's coast, according to a new report released last month by the Union of Concerned Scientists. In 20 years, Louisiana will likely have 95 communities suffering from chronic flooding, and the U.S. total will jump to 170, the report says. In places like Miami Beach and Key West, many buildings are just three feet above sea level. Scientists now say there may be a four-foot rise in the world's oceans by the end of the century. Under ordinance recently adopted in Key West, all new buildings will have to be raised at least a foot and a half higher than the old standard. The highest point in Key West is 18 feet above sea level. Another area experiencing problems from sea level rise is the Everglades. If the rise follows predictions, much of the Everglades will be underwater by the year 2100. The crocodiles, alligators, and snakes will likely find their way to highly populated areas. Tangier Island is located in Chesapeake Bay. The population was 727 at the 2010 census. Much of the island is less than four feet above sea level. Under the current scenario, much of the remaining landmass is expected to be lost in the next 50 years and the town will likely need to be abandoned. Recently, the mayor of Tangier received a call from President Trump saying, your island has been there for hundreds of years and I believe your island will be there for hundreds more. Crisfield, Maryland is on the eastern side of Chesapeake Bay and is another area vulnerable to sea level rise. Much of the area is less than three feet above sea level. Much of the area around Crisfield is expected to be underwater in a few decades. Other coastal Maryland communities, in, like St. Michael's, Cambridge, and Ocean City, could face regular floods that inundate more than half their current usable land by the end of the century. Finally, in 2011, the National Park Service enacted a policy to end the sale of bottled water because of the massive plastic pollution those bottles are responsible for. The parks began encouraging visitors to use tap water and refillable bottles instead. However, the Trump administration has just reversed that Obama-era policy. The reversal has made the International Bottled Water Association happy and is one of many attempts by the Trump administration to gut Obama-era environmental re regulations. 
The Trump administration recently appointed a deputy secretary at the Department of the Interior who previously worked for a law firm that has represented Nestle Waters, one of the largest corporations that sell bottled water. The nonprofit group Corporate Accountability International noted that the bottled, the bottled water industry has heavily lobbied the Interior Department, which runs the National Park Service. Corporate accountability says the industry is, quote, pulling the strings behind the scenes to protect its profits, unquote. And that's the news for the week. I'm Don Guerra. And I'm David Lyman. We love to hear from our listeners. Contact us about stories we've aired, or if you have ideas for future stories, please send emails to earth at wfhb.org. Today's Eco Report feature will consist of a live in studio interview with Forest Alliance member Dave Simcox. He and Juliana Daly are joining us now. Good morning, Eco Report listeners. I'm Juliana Daly, and I am sitting here with Dave Simcox, who is with a new grassroots citizens group called Mind the Gap. Dave, tell me all about Mind the Gap. Well, thank you, Juliana, for uh, inviting me in. Uh, this new grassroots group is uh, consisted of uh, citizens in Monroe, Morgan, and Marion County. Uh, we're working to protect the Low Gap area and its backcountry from logging. We have a sister group in Brown County called uh, Wild Tecumseh Friends. You can find us at mindthelowgap at gmail.com uh, as a follow-up. Well, um... Can you tell me a little bit about the backcountry, which is, I know Mind the Group is uh, really involved with that. Well, thank you. Uh, first, it's just as a reminder, when we're talking about logging, we're talking about our state forests, not our state parks. Uh, logging is not permitted in, a, in state parks. Um, but the backcountry lies in the Morgan Monroe and Yellowwood uh, state forests. Um, of course, between uh, Bloomington and Martinsville, just east of 37, and just north of Lake Lemon, in, the, in Monroe County still is the Morgan Monroe State Forest. Um, threading through that area is the beautiful Tecumseh Trail coming in from the west and crossing Logap Road. And um, proceeding uh, north and, and east, it goes through some of the oldest growth woods that we have in our entire area. Um, as you reach Bear Lake, you've now crossed from Monroe into Brown County and into Yellowwood State Forest as a result. All of this uh, between Low Gap Road and, uh, and Bear Lake is the Low Gap State Wild Area and the backcountry. I love that word, backcountry. So what <laughs> is backcountry? So the backcountry. Um, 2,700 acres in um, Morgan Monroe and Yellowwood was set aside in 1981 by Governor Orr as a place to be maintained in a wild state, quote-unquote, rugged primitive areas. Uh, the DNR statement at the time said it will offer an experience of visiting a forested area looking much the same as it may have appeared a century and a half ago, unquote. Shortly thereafter, other governors created additional backcountry areas throughout the state forest system. So for three decades, um, the promises to preserve the backcountry in uh, the Low Gap were upheld by the DNR. Then um, 
early in the 2000s with the change of administration, the Daniels administration came in, and logging started to expand throughout the state forests. And in uh, 29 or 2009, 2010, the DNR logged at least two areas in the back country on the Morgan Monroe side. So what are the issues here? What's going on? Well, um, earlier this uh, month, August 3rd to be exact, the Department of Forestry, which is part of the DNR, and I kind of refer to uh, using either name, proposed to log 299 acres on three tracks on the Yellowwood State Forest side of the backcountry. These are sizable cuts, and um, certainly descri as they're described, these are aggressive, selective cuts, uh, maybe anywhere from a dozen to 40 trees per acre on this almost 300-acre track. So let me just be clear for listeners that um, don't know, the DNR doesn't do the logging. They select the tracks and tag the trees, and then bids come in from private companies who then actually do the work. I know our listeners uh, have an affinity for yellow wood, so um, that there are a lot of concerns here. So what are the concerns? Well, um, I have four of them listed here. I'll go into some detail. Um, First, these cuts and roadways will destroy the wilderness character of the backcountry. It's a hugely popular area for hiking and camping, and certainly the nature of that area is going to be um, changed. Uh, number two, these are some of the oldest trees in the entire area, um, recently aged as, as much as 50 years, and we know most of the area has been logged 100 years ago, so these are some old trees that uh, need to be preserved. And um, the Unequal Blitz, conducted by the Indiana Forest Alliance, lies right in the crosshairs of, this, uh, of these logging plans. And this uh, science study, which is the most extensive in the state forest system, um, has been running for four years, is nearly completed, and it provides a baseline for what our oldest forest could um, have in the way of uh, various species from animal, plant, trees, et cetera, um, that inhabit that. And finally, the big, another concern is that with the Tecumseh Trail going through there, that it will be diverted if these logging plans go forward, at, as it has on numerous occasions along its 42-mile path down to Lake Monroe. And once these logging roads are laid in and the forests are deep cut, then the nature of this trail is going to be destroyed, and uh, we'll talk about that later if we have time. So. Um you have an ask here, don't you? I do. I've got an ask. And the ask is for folks to pick up the phone and call Governor Holcomb, who, at the end of the day, the buck stops there. And uh, his phone number, 317-232-4567, very easy. Uh, ask him to cancel these logging plans and to protect the, the low gap backcountry um, in perpetuity. Okay. So can you give me some information about your position on logging? Well, I, I like to think that I, I look at it from a balanced standpoint. I'm not anti-logging. Um, that uh, I do think there needs to be areas that are conserved and left, left untouched. Um, we've pushed for a 10% set aside in conservation. Um, the DNR um, protested against that in a, in a recent Senate hearing, Senate Bill 420, where we had a hearing um, in the Natural Resources Committee. And um, so we're hoping that we can still get something set aside in which there will be no logging. Um, so I just hope that we, that the DNR will sit down with citizens and listen to the concerns and work in a collaborative manner to address them. 
So um, I know the Indiana Forest Alliance uh, does an Eco Blitz, and maybe some of our readers do not know what Eco Blitz is. Could you tell us about that? Well, sure. So this is a the most extensive field science research project in the state forest system consisting of scientists, university professors, and scores of volunteers that get out at, at all times of night and day um, to uh, survey and take counts of the various creatures and the, and the plants and trees um, in the system. And like I said before, this baseline is important. If you're going to understand what impact your actions are going to have on the forest, the first thing you need to know is what's there to begin with. And this is, the, this is some of the oldest growth forests that we have in the area. So uh, we've already found that there's an amazing number, uh, compared to other forests in the Midwest, um, huge number of uh, species diversity and numbers of species counts that have been coming out of this the last three years, and this is our final year of that. The problem is that the logging track number three is right in the heart of the EcoBlitz area in which all this work has been done. What is the data or data does the DNR use to gauge impact on wildlife? Well, so they use a database uh, that's not actually a field research that's done by them. And um, just uh, this database is managed by the DNR uh, State Preserves and um, has some qualifiers there, but they're not actually using the EcoBlitz data that's been generated and turned into them each year, which we would think would be a great uh, starting point to establish the baseline for their uh, logging proposals. And their proposals don't refer to any of this when, um, when you read them online. Has the DNR objected to conserving some of the state forest? Well, I'd mentioned before that um, they uh, protested against the 10%, and it's in their strategic plan to conserve 10% of their state forests as older growth or old growth conditions. and. Um, Senate Bill 420 tried to hold their feet to the fire and there was a lot of pushback on that. For example, states like Pennsylvania, which has been a leader in forestry for hundreds of years, sets aside 25% of their state forests for conservation and no logging. And I think Indiana is kind of behind the curve when you look at other Midwestern states as well. So they have. Okay. Uh, well, you know, I think we're starting to run out of time. Yes. Um, do you, I know you're going to have a booth at um, the uh, Farmer's Market this weekend? No, on September 2nd, Labor Se Day. Okay, Labor Day and, weekend. But we will be at the Pride Fest as well. Okay, and you're our, passing and out cards? We have cards and brochures, and then people can sign up and learn more about how to get involved because this is the time to get involved. Please do that. Uh, why don't you tell people again uh, how they can contact directly um, uh, Governor Holcomb uh, and uh, anything else that they can do besides uh, showing up at any kind of events that you may be having. Okay, so again, our email is mindthelowgap at gmail.com and uh, send us a request. We can send you some information, but you can easily call Governor Holcomb at 317-232-4567 and just basically ask him to stop the logging proposals in the low, in the low gap backcountry. Thank you so much, Dave. It was really a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you. Are you an environmental activist, an expert on a particular issue of environmental concern? 
a concerned citizen interested in learning more about local and national environmental issues, EcoReport is seeking volunteer reporters to contribute short headline news stories as well as feature interviews. We provide all the technical training you'll need. For more information, email us at earth at wfhb.org or call 812-323-1200. And now it's time for our weekly events calendar. Join Sycamore Branches to learn about the secret lives of bees, beetles, butterflies, and all manner of bugs on an insect hike at Bean Blossom Nature Preserve. That's Sunday, August 27th from 2 to 4 p.m. Autumn Brunel, an experienced naturalist, will take you on an in-depth tour of the six-legged creatures calling the preserve home. For more information, call 812-336-5382 or go to info at sycamorelandtrust.org. A Mind the Gap meeting is scheduled for Tuesday, August 29th in Martinsville. The Mind the Gap group is working to protect our state forests from extensive logging, specifically in the Low Gap backcountry area of Morgan Monroe and Yellowwood State Forest. If you're interested in becoming a part of this group, contact Dave Simcox at 215-833-0974. On Wednesday, August 30th, there will be a tree ID hike at Spring Mill State Park from 3 to 3.45 p.m. We build our houses from trees and breathe the air that they create. We should at least learn their names. Meet Kelsey at the Lakeview Activity Center for this easy hike. A nature fair is scheduled all weekend, Friday, September 1st through Sunday, September 3rd, at Brown County State Park all day. The fair will include nature programs, talks, hikes, games, and much more. For more information, contact Brown County State Park. Learn about cool nocturnal creatures on Sunday, September 3rd at the Payne Town State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake from 8.30 to 9 p.m. Discover some of the animals that are waking up as we go to bed. Discover some of the adaptations they have for a life lived in the dark. Meet at the Activity Center Amphitheater. That wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's news stories were written by Wes Martin and Alex Davis. Rebecca Mueller edited the script. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Our engineer is Sarah Vaughn. Executive producer is Wes Martin. For WFHB, I'm Don Guerra. And I'm David Lyman. Join us on Thursdays at 11.30 a.m. before De Democracy Now! and on Fridays at 5 p.m. before Kite Line for our weekly radio rundown of ecological news. Until then, Eco Report encourages you to take direct action to defend the Earth. You've been listening to the Eco Report. 
a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.